Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. My goodness, do we have a lot to do tonight over the next two hours. We are with you. Until 10 o'clock, we got National Football League issues to get into, a little bit of college football to get into, and one pretty big change on the high school football gridiron that we will get into. Here's what the guest lineup looks like. In about 20 minutes, my friend Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. We'll talk Jacksonville, Tennessee. Of course, you'll hear the Jaguars and the Titans Sunday, 1 o'clock here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So Leon Searcy coming up in about 20 minutes. Later on in the 8 o'clock hour, I mentioned a change on the high school football gridiron. Pretty significant change. Christopher Foy at Jackson did a terrific job, a really good job, turning that Jackson program around, getting the Tigers back uh, to a district championship. They went into range this year and won a district title. Uh, He is leaving Jackson and heading to Oakleaf. He is the brand-new head coach of Oakleaf out in Clay County. So we will talk to Christopher Foley about what went into that decision to leave Jackson after three years and head on over to a great opportunity there at Oakleaf High School. In the 9 o'clock hour, we'll go to Gainesville. Boy, there is news every day seemingly coming out of Gainesville. Zach Goodall, allgators.com. We will talk with Zach about everything going on down with the University of Florida. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, Ben Arthur, who is the AFC South reporter for Fox Sports, does a terrific job with the Jaguars, the Titans, the Texans, and the Colts. We'll talk to Ben Arthur of FoxSports.com about the Jaguars, about the Titans on Sunday. Want to work in a little bit of Colts, a little bit of Texans, but I want to start peeking ahead. 2023-2024, we think this is the Jaguars' division moving forward. Does a guy that covers the entirety of the AFC South believe the same thing? So we'll do that with Ben Arthur of Fox Sports coming up later on in the 9 o'clock hour. But as we always do to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, so for the second straight day, Trevor Lawrence did not practice. With the toe issue that he suffered last week with that awful hit in Detroit. Got to tell you, um, I would not play Trevor Lawrence on Sunday. And if the Jaguars were 6-6 six and six in the thick of it in the AFC playoff hunt, I might consider it. But as it stands right now, they're 4-8, and eight, not going anywhere. And the, to me, the cons far outweigh the pros. 
The last seven games after the bye were all about Trevor Lawrence to me. He looked phenomenal against Baltimore. Did not look great against Detroit, but in fairness, the defense didn't give him much opportunity to look great because the Jaguar defense couldn't get off the field. And when he was out there trying to drive the team down to get points at the end of the first half, his left tackle got beat by a guy that's played two NFL games and got him killed. And thankfully, thankfully, the injury is not as bad as it first appeared. But nevertheless, a toe issue has kept him out of practice yesterday and kept him out of practice today. Usually, more times than not, and you guys know this, usually when you miss Wednesday and you miss Thursday, you don't play on Sunday. So I think at this point, you got to assume C.J. Beathard is going to be the Jaguars' starting quarterback. Again, if, the, if this was a division, a first place in the division type game, or if the Jaguars were again in the thick of it in the AFC wildcard race, and Trevor Lawrence could go out there at 80 or 85%, I would at least think about it, but not at 4-8. and eight. Not at 4-8. and eight. You're playing out the stretch at this point. You're not going to win five games in a row, and even if you do, that may not even be good enough. When you consider you have two against Tennessee, you got Dallas, you got the Jets, you got four games out of your last five on the schedule where you face competition with at least seven wins already. So you got to do what's best for the team long-term at this point. And what's best for the team long-term at this point, to me, is to protect Trevor Lawrence at all costs. So we'll see what happens. But again, I would not play Trevor Lawrence. He missed Wednesday's practice. He missed Thursday's practice. We've talked all week leading up to this game. What is it about Nashville, Tennessee, man? What is it? 3,318 days. It'll be on Sunday since the Jaguars have won in that stadium. November the 10th, 2013. Over nine years since Jacksonville's won a game in Nashville. And again, the ironic part about that, for those of you that remember that game in 2013, the Jaguars were awful. Awful. That was Gus Bradley's first year. Jacksonville went into Tennessee 0-8. 0-8. And they won the game. Think about how many Jaguars were in high school in 2013. Current Jaguars were in high school the last time the Jaguars won a game in Nashville. Trevor Lawrence was 14 years old. 14 years old. It is a long, long streak of ineptitude in the Music City. Hopefully it ends on Sunday. I would obviously doubt it if Trevor doesn't go. If Trevor does go, I give the Jaguars at least a fighting chance. But again, you're catching Tennessee at a bad time. A bad time. They're coming in off a two-game losing streak. They got humiliated last week in Philadelphia by their former wide receiver, in A.J. Brown. The Jaguars are coming in wounded off a 40-14, just pathetic performance, and 
uncertainty about their starting quarterback, I would imagine Tennessee smells blood in the water. Oh, boy. It might get ugly. Ugly on Sunday in Nashville. I'm not breaking any news here. I've said it all week. I'm picking the Titans to win the game. Hope I'm wrong. I would be happy to be wrong. You know, look, if the unthinkable happens, and I do mean the unthinkable, and if you actually go into Tennessee on Sunday and win, well, then you're two games back with four to go, and you get one more against Tennessee here. Then you can at least have a conversation, right, until Dallas comes in and pummels you in a, in a week. So the Jaguars can at least stay in the conversation with a win. With a loss, it's curtains officially. They're done as far as the division. You know, you start thinking towards next year, too, with the Jaguars. I don't know about you guys, but I've started doing this. Taking a peek ahead. Free agents to be. The fact that Calvin Ridley will be in the fold next year. What do the Jaguars need in the draft? Who are the Jaguars going to need to cut in order to have flexibility with the cap to be able to make some signings this offseason? Again, Roy Robertson-Harris, Shaq Griffin, and Rayshon Jenkins, I believe the number is roughly $20 million in savings you would have if you cut those three guys. But you do that, that's at least two starting spots you got to replace, right? Robertson Harris is a starter. Rayshon Jenkins is a starter. Shaq Griffin has probably played his last game in Jacksonville already. You know, I do wonder. We do this in like May and June leading into the year. The worst free agent signings in the history of the Jaguars. Everybody brings up Jerry Porter. Everybody brings up Hugh Douglas. Old school Jaguar fans bring up Bryce Pop, although I don't think that's fair. The Jaguars signed Bryce Pop and asked him to do something that he wasn't doing prior. When you play in Buffalo behind Bruce Smith and you play in Green Bay behind Reggie White, well, no kidding, you're good. I mean, that's not breaking news. You're obviously going to be good when you play behind Reggie White, when you play behind Bruce Smith. Bryce Pop was brought in here to Jacksonville and he was asked to do something that he wasn't used to doing. But those are the three, right? Porter, Douglas, Pop. You got to throw Nick Foles in there. Actually, Nick Foles may be the worst. You give that guy $50 million in guaranteed money, what'd you get out of him? Five games? But I do think Shaq Griffin will enter that conversation. $16, $17 million a year for Shaq Griffin? Did you get anything close to that production-wise? I don't think so. So those are guys that are probably going to move on. But the reason I started thinking about this, we kind of brought this up briefly last night. Who excites you, Jaguar fans? Who lights your fire coming into 2023 that's on the current roster? Obviously, Trevor Lawrence should. Travis Etienne, absolutely. Take those two off the board. Take Lawrence, take ETN off the board. Obviously, you're very excited, as well you should be, about their future prospects. Who else really gets you fired up for 2023? Luke Fortner probably should, right? He started every game as a rookie. I think Brandon Sheriff's been fine. 
You paid a lot of money for him. I think he's been fine. Jawan Taylor, I would doubt his back. I don't know if they're going to re-sign Jawan Taylor. Cam Robinson's going to be back for financial reasons, but he's been average. Left guard, I don't know. Tyler Shatley, Ben Barch, we'll see. The point is, on offense, I would probably throw Christian Kirk in there, come to think of it. Travis Etienne, Luke Fortner, Trevor Lawrence, Christian Kirk. I'm excited about those four guys in 2023. Is Evan Ingram going to come back? Do you want Evan Ingram back? He's on a one-year deal. He's a free agent. I expected a lot more out of Evan Ingram. We were getting pretty good production from him September, October, early November. For whatever reason, as of late, they've stopped throwing him the ball. Zay Jones, I would be fine if he came back. I would love a three-wide receiver set of Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, and Zay Jones. Would love that. You got to make sure the finances are good. But if possible, I would love that. So there are at least some pieces on offense. Defensively, it's a different story. My goodness. Moving forward, 2023, Jaguar fans, who lights your fire on defense? Who gets your juices flowing? Thinking about what could be in 2023 for the Jaguar defense. Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd should. They're first-round draft picks. They should get you fired up. I'm not ready to give up on either guy, but... I would have liked to have seen more from both 12 games in. Chad Muma, I think he's going to be a good player. I don't think he's going to be, you know, an all-pro or a pro bowler, certainly. But I think he's fine for what his role is going to be. I love Foye Lewican. Good signing. Foye Lewican tackles everything. Unfortunately, he's in the position now where he has to tackle everything because he's the only guy out there that's playing any defense a majority of the time. Like I told you guys earlier this week, I'd love to have a cigar and a couple of sips of brown water with Foye Lewican and just get his thoughts on why he's had to make 33 tackles in the last two weeks. When you make 33 tackles in, the, in a two-game stretch, it's one of two things. You're either one of the best linebackers in the league, which is possible, but more so than likely, you're the only guy worth a flip doing anything which I think that's where the Jaguars are with Foyer Lewican. He's having to be a one-man band out there because there isn't a whole lot else going on on that defense. Josh Allen's going to be entering a contract here in 2023. He better be entering a contract here. Are they going to re-sign him this offseason? How can you? How can you give Josh Allen big money this offseason? I don't think you can. I think he has to enter 2023 as a free agent to be. And if he has a great year, then he placed the franchise tag on him. I'm not signing that guy long-term until he shows me more. Because he hasn't shown hardly anything. Like Dewan Smoot, he leads the team in sacks. Unfortunately, he's a free agent. Are you going to bring Dewan Smoot back? If so, how much money are you going to pay for him? Now, in the secondary, Tyson Campbell, he's fine. Andre Sisco, I think you can work with him. You can certainly work with some of these guys. But in this rebuild here in Jacksonville, the influx of all this young talent here in Jacksonville, I got to tell you, thinking off the top of my head, both on offense and defense, 
10, maybe 12 guys right now that I'm really excited about in 2023. And that's a problem. It should be upwards of 20 to 25 guys that we're excited about as they've rebuilt this roster. I don't think the number's near that high. I think this is another offseason. You got a lot of work to do, but unfortunately, you don't have the money that you've had in previous years. That's why you're going to have to cut some guys. Again, I think Robertson, Harris, Griffin, and Jenkins are probably gone. I don't know if you can re-sign Evan Ingram. I don't know if you can re-sign Dewan Smoot. A lot of things to think about with only five games remaining here in 2022. One of those games is Sunday at 1 o'clock in Nashville against the Tennessee Titans. Let's talk to a man that knows all about the Jaguar-Titan rivalry. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. My friend Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's talk Jacksonville. Let's talk Tennessee with Leon Searcy. That's next on a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. How can the Jaguars get over what happened last week in Detroit? Let's talk to a man that spent 11 years in the National Football League. You hear him every day on XL Primetime, and you get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Of course, my buddy Leon Searcy, always kind enough to join us. Leon, how we doing? Doing great, bro. How, how about that? Leon, we are good. All right, man. I mean, look, it was it was what it was. You got embarrassed last week if you're a Jaguar. Uh, take us back to your thoughts on Sunday's performance because it left an awful lot to be desired. Uh, well, I mean, heck, it was despicable. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It was lackluster. It was sleepwalking. It was all those uh, deplorable things you could say about a football team. Um, and the worst thing about it is this team, not, well, maybe not the worst thing about it. The best thing about it is the team, um, had to watch themselves look that bad after they gave us a performance of hope in the Ravens game. Uh, this was probably the first, this was the first real time that the Jaguar team was non-competitive in a game. Um, they came in the game with no energy, no, no aspirations. Um, and it was unfortunate because there was an opportunity uh, for the Jaguars to make the Titans game this week a meaningful game where they would have been only one game behind the Jag- behind the Titans. Uh, but the game is, is even more meaningful to me because the Jaguars have had a history of just not showing up when it came to playing the Tennessee Titans. It would have been a big game, no question about it. Tennessee loses to Philadelphia, like you said. All Jacksonville had to do was beat Detroit, and this is a big game on Sunday. As it stands right now, the Jaguars are three back with five to go. Leon, you are literally the perfect person to ask this. 
Uh, Trevor Lawrence gets hit last week. He gets knocked down on the field. Uh, as the time we we are talking right now, we don't necessarily know his status for Sunday. We know he's in kind of a, a walking boot, if you will. Doug Peterson said he's going to be day-to-day, and we'll see what happens. Take us through that moment on the field. If you're Cam Robinson and you get beat like that on a play, you and I talked about this on the fifth quarter. You got to take the holding penalty, right? You got to grab the guy. You got to body slam the guy. There is no way you can let that defensive end get to your quarterback like what happened on Sunday. Uh, you're absolutely right, Hack. Uh, the last thing you want to do as a as a, a tackle, a blindside tackle, is for your uh, quarterback to take a blindside hit, especially anything below the waist area. I mean, when you're hitting below the waist, you, now you're affecting knees and ligaments and ankles and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, uh, Cam Robinson actually got a pass, so to say, because the injury looked a lot worse. I mean, the outcome—I mean, the outcome didn't look as worse as the initial contact on Trevor. So, because if you look at the way Trevor went down, I mean, it could have been ACL, MCL, it could have been. Uh, ankle broke, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I think Cam Robinson got a pass in the fact that it's only a toe. Uh, hopefully it's not a turf toe because I heard those things are excruciating as they come. But they've got him in a boot. They've got him uh, taking this medicine to stabilize it and all that kind of stuff. Similar thing happened to me in um, 98, which, by the way, which is kind of uh, crazy, is that I hurt my thumb in, in a game against Detroit um, where they had to do the same thing, give me a cast, give me medicine, stabilize me to where I could play that next Sunday. So, uh, yeah, Cam Robinson, I mean, listen, you they paid you the elite money to protect the blind side of the front face of the franchise. So you've either got to step your game up. And listen, I, listen, I'm not trying to single out Cam Robinson. You play this game long enough, your quarterback's going to get sacked. But the way uh, Trevor Lawrence went down, uh, you don't want to see that uh, that happen to your quarterback. So Cam has had a solid, has had a decent season this year. It was just unfortunate that that, that relayed and it, and it happened the way it did. You hear Leon Searcy every day on XL Primetime. You also get him weekly here with me on Hacker After Dark. Leon, I always hear the term players want to play. Players don't want to come out of the game. And I certainly understand that. And, again, you're a perfect person to ask. Last week, or I guess the week against Baltimore, the coaching staff, Doug Peterson, held Travis Etienne out for what he called precautionary reasons with the foot. In a close ball game, they could have used Travis Etienne, but they held him out as a precaution. He was back in there the following week against Detroit. When Trevor Lawrence got hurt, it was at the end of the first half. Detroit gets the ball first to start the second half, drives down and scores. It is 30-6. to six with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter. In your opinion, I understand Trevor probably wanted to go back in, but would you have put Trevor back in if you were the coaching staff? Absolutely not. Uh, not be- Absolutely not be- because uh, I probably wasn't made full of where uh, of Trevor's uh, injury, the full extent of the injury. I mean, uh, I'm sure they, they, take, they probably took him in there x-rayed him and all, you know, pulled and tugged at his foot and all that other kind of stuff. But at that particular moment, the franchise of uh, the face of your franchise and you're down by three scores 
Uh, there's no real well for scores. Uh, there's no real reason to bring him back into the game uh, because most athletes, competitive athletes, no matter what the score is, you never want to be uh, felt like the, the team is putting you on the shelf while you're out there playing. Uh, so sometimes you feel obligated to get back out there and be with your team d- despite what the score is. So I, I sense that from Trevor. I sense that he felt his team was struggling and he didn't want to feel that uh, he was uh, as important or more important than everybody else. So he probably talked his way uh, through the trainers, through the head coach, uh, to say, I want to be back out there, which uh, I think that uh, Doug Peterson had the right to veto that and say, hey, listen, we're going to hold you out, get you better, and then just look forward to next week. All right, Leon, I want to get into next week, meaning this week against Tennessee on Sunday. But before we get there, uh, we got to at least comment on how atrociously awful the defense was. I think we've all said our piece over the last couple of days. This will be the last time I talk about it. But my gosh, I mean, you want to talk about the history of Jaguar football. In 1995, the expansion year, they lost 44 to nothing to Detroit. And I'm not sure if the defensive effort then wasn't a little bit better than the defensive effort was this past week. It was awful. And, and I don't know where the Jaguars go from here on defense, but, Leon, they got a lot of problems on that side of the ball. They do. They do, have. I, I haven't seen uh, as of uh, – that defense is atrocious, bro. I mean, absolutely atrocious. Uh, the way they perform, the way they've been performing. I mean, we saw this – we kind of saw this same uh, namesake against KC. I mean, guys out of position, wide receivers, wide open guys uh, – in zone, not knowing when to run and when to pass and when to drop and when to cover and getting beat on routes. I mean, um, everybody wants to blame uh, the D coordinator, Caldwell, but um, he knew going into the season what he was working with. So you can only scheme up so much to protect the inefficiencies of your guys on the field. I mean, these guys have got to overperform. Uh, because well, they're not good enough to stand toe-to-toe with some of the better teams who have better athletes uh, on their team. So they, they've got to overachieve. Uh, this defense has to overachieve. And right now, they're playing status quo, which is bad. Uh, there's nobody on the team that is inspired to play above themselves. Uh, and that's the reason why I think that we're struggling so much Uh uh, you can only you can only scheme uh, as much as you can. You've got to get a lot more effort out of this defense than I'm, I'm talking about the front end, the middle, and the back end. I'm talking about the rushing, the covering uh, on, on the second and third level. So, um, yeah, we're bad, bro. We're the, well, I think we're ranked 31st in the NFL as far as total defense goes, and that's the that's the bottom of the cellar. And at this point, with five games to go, there's not a lot to do about it. You just kind of got to get through it and then try to improve as much as you can this offseason. Final moments here with Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Leon, I don't know where you were in life on November the 10th, 2013, but that is the last time the Jaguars have won a game in Nashville. It'll be 3,318 days by the time they kick it off on Sunday. Leon, how do you explain that? This isn't Northwestern and Ohio State, right? It's not Indiana and Michigan. It's two NFL teams 
yet it will be over nine years since the Jaguars have won a football game in Nashville. Well, heck, I mean, this this matchup between the Jaguars and the Titans historically is always uh, has always been bad. It has not worked in our favor. I, I was a I, I was one. I was a proponent to, of of saying that um, even in my day, at certain areas on the field, uh, that we have matchup problems when it came to playing the Titans. And that's that's one of the more familiar reasons why uh, we didn't play in the Super Bowl in 1999. Because, I mean, for a team to beat us three times in a row, um, the Titans just had our number. And I think that has been the carryover uh, for the Titans moving forward is that uh, they, uh, they initially, well, they instinctively are tougher than us. And they are. And for the, for us to have lost to them uh, year after year after year after year, uh, I think the, the Titans' impressions upon Jacksonville is that we're soft. And uh, I think that the impressions of them when they see the schedule is that they count us as a W, especially in Nashville. So until the Jaguars do something to change that narrative, which, is mean, which means to out-tough the Titans – who are the bullies on the block, the bullies in the AFC South, we're going to continue to be their whooping doll. Uh, so uh, it's going to be, I'm going to be very interested to see how the Jaguars come out and how they respond to how badly they played against Detroit. And no perfect team to bounce back from than the Titans, which we haven't won in so long there. Leon, final question. You're as positive a guy as I know when it comes to the Jaguars, uh, and it's kind of hard because we don't know at the time you and I are talking right now, we don't know exactly what Trevor's status will be for Sunday. Assuming Trevor plays, though, because if he doesn't play, everything's out the window. Assuming Trevor plays, even with that, do you see Jacksonville having a shot in this game? Um, I think we've got a shot if we can establish the run game up front initially. I, I think I think the Tennessee Titans front four is a formidable task. I think our offensive lines at times, when given the opportunity, can run the ball. Not, not smash mouth the ball, but I think we're athletic enough to get out on the perimeter and make plays that way. Uh, if we can establish a run and not one dimension will put all the pressure on Trevor, I think there's an opportunity for us to compete with the, the Titans and see if we have a puncher's chance uh, in the fourth quarter. We'll certainly see what happens. The Jaguars and the Titans Sunday in Nashville, 1 o'clock kick, regardless of what happens. Leon Searcy, myself, and the head coach Dave Campa will have the fifth quarter for you out at Perfect Rack Billiards in Murray Hill on Edgewood two hours after the Jaguars and the Titans go final. Leon, appreciate the time, man. Have a great weekend. I will talk to you on Sunday night during the fifth quarter. Sounds good, bro. Always appreciate Leon seriously for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. Again, Jaguars and the Titans on Sunday. I like Tennessee to win the game. Hope I'm wrong, but I just look at it. And by the way, we don't even know if Trevor Lawrence is playing. I would tend to doubt it. Told you guys in the first segment, I wouldn't play him. If he's not practicing on Wednesday and he's not practicing today, there's obviously something that's not right. So why are you going to put him out there in Nashville in a game with 
you're four and eight and you're all but eliminated already from the division. Um, to me, there's far more cons in playing an injured non 100% Trevor Lawrence than there are pros. Week 14 of the National Football League is underway. On behalf of all fantasy football players in this country, I want to have a sit-down conversation with the NFL and Roger Goodell. Why are there like four teams on a bye in week 14? What is that about? Why are you going to make teams play 13 consecutive weeks, then you give them a bye on week 14 before they finish up with their final four games? That is ridiculous. This coming from somebody that, oh, I don't know, might have David Montgomery, Brian Robinson, and Jonathan Taylor as three of his top five running backs in a dynasty league where I have to win this week. And of course, Chicago, Washington, and Indianapolis are all on by. And then maybe that same guy might have Christian Watson from Green Bay as his wide receiver too. And Green Bay is on a bye. Denmark, it's week 14. What are we doing? Why are there so many people on buy, so many teams on a buy 14 weeks into the year? That is pretty late. It uh, kind of hard to explain, but I mean, usually I guess it'd be week 13 in a 17-week season, but it does seem really kind of late for it to be, what, two weeks after Thanksgiving and guys are still on a bye and if I was one of those teams I'd be spitting mad that's ludicrous you made me play 13 weeks in a row then you give me a bye with only four to go thanks but no thanks pal oh interesting well I'm sure fantasy football owners a lot of you out there probably feel my pain with some of the bye weeks this week nevertheless week 14 is underway the Las Vegas Raiders lead the Rams seven nothing you know it would be an interesting study if you go back through the memory banks a little bit Go to ESPN Stats and Info a little bit. I had JJ Stats and Info on XL Primetime. Perhaps we'll start doing Denmark Stats and Info here on Hacker After Dark. The Rams are one of the worst defending world champions I've ever seen. They're terrible. They're 3-9. and nine. Granted, they've had injury problems. They've essentially shut down Matt Stafford for the year. But they were bad even when Stafford was in there. When's the last time a world champion the next year started three and nine? That cannot possibly have happened very often. Cannot possibly have happened very often. Talk about thinking you know somebody and then just, wow. I would, have been, I would be willing to bet everybody listening right now, either you had the Rams winning the division or you certainly had them as one of the wild cards in the NFC. And they're terrible. They are absolutely pitiful. And somebody owns their first round pick, right? I don't they're not gonna pay they don't have a first rounder with all those trades that they made. They don't have a first rounder for like the next three, four years. I forget who owns their pick, but somebody does, and that team's very happy. I'll get that information for you here in just a moment. But the three and nine Rams already losing to the Raiders seven nothing. Josh Jacobs punches it in for Las Vegas. Raiders have the ball midway through. The first quarter, we will certainly keep you updated. There was big news on the high school front here in our city today. Christopher Foy did a terrific job at Jackson High School, re-energizing that program, a district championship this year. 
with the Jackson Tigers there on 48th and Main. He is now leaving Jackson and has taken the head coaching job at Clay County with Oakleaf, one of the biggest public schools in Northeast Florida. Let's talk to Christopher Foy. What went into the decision to leave Jackson and take over the program at Oakleaf? Christopher Foy is next on Hacker After Dark. Oh. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. We have had a huge coaching shakeup in Northeast Florida. The Jackson Tigers, what a year they had under head coach Christopher Foy. A terrific regular season for Jackson. Kind of reestablishing things out there on Main Street. And that work by head coach Christopher Foy has landed him a job now with one of the biggest public schools in our area as he is the new head coach of Oak Leaf High School out in Clay County. Christopher yes, Foy sir. joins us here on 1010XL. Coach, congratulations. Oh, thank you, Coach. Thank you so much for having me. Coach, we always appreciate it. Okay, let's start with the job at Jackson. You got there, what, three years ago as the head coach you wanted to reestablish the tradition out there. Boy, you did that. You did a phenomenal job. Now that you walk away three years later, how do you feel about the job you did there at Jackson High School? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of the, 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 the effort the kids and the community put forth. I mean, we, we, we set out to, to you know, accomplish some goals, and we had a chance to do that. And uh, you know, we're just on to the next chapter now. And, Coach, I know what Jackson meant to you when we did a Hackers High School football tour out there with you guys just yes, talking sir. to you. I know what it meant to you. I know what Kevin Sullivan meant to you. Certainly it's a great opportunity, and we're going to talk about what your plans are now going to Oakleaf. Again, congrats on that. But was, mm-hmm. it, was it hard, though, to say goodbye to Jackson? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we got so much support. Uh, the kids did it. They, they did everything we asked them to do. I mean, they did. They were they – were, relentless on the field they were kind and courteous off the field and uh you know it was it it was a real difficult decision certainly uh, you know and you and I have talked so many times on the Friday Night Lights I mean the job you did you inherited a public school program that quite frankly coach before you got there was winning one and two games a year three games maybe and then to turn Mm -hmm. them around and to be undefeated going into the final week of the regular season in just three years were you even I mean, maybe impressed is not the right word, but the job that your staff did, the job your players, certainly you did, the fact that that all turned around so quickly for you, Jackson, certainly a lot of people took notice of that. Yeah, it, it was. It was, you know, in this profession, you, you know, every once in a while you need a little luck. And so, you know, we had a lot of tight ball games that we had to, we just, we just were, were, were lucky enough and, and blessed enough to pull them off, man. But uh, yes, I mean, it, absolutely, Coach, I've, I've, I'm, I'm humbled by the accomplishments uh, that we had this year. Uh, you know, it was, it, it was not something that, you know, you, you take lightly. I, I knew those kids had worked extremely hard, and so it was good to see them receive all the fruits from their labor. Christopher Foy, formerly the head coach of Jackson, he's now going to Clay County to one of the biggest public schools in the area there at Oakleaf. All right, Coach, let's talk about the present and now the future, which is you and Oakleaf High School. How did this come about for you? Oh, I, I mean, I, I got in, uh, you know, I, I saw I saw the uh, the opening, and, and I, you know, I, I took a shot at it, 
and uh, athletic director uh, Marcus Miller gave me a call, and and that you know kind of started the ball rolling. Um, you know, I felt a you know a little comfortable having accomplished some things uh, in the in, in the profession last year, and so I gave it a shot. Um, made it through an interview, and I I saw the facilities and the opportunity, and it was and it and, and it's also it's not a bad situation that it's only. A, you know, it's less than a 10 minute drive from my house. So it's, uh, you know, it was, it was, it, you know, I've, I've had a chance to coach in a lot of different communities and uh, none of them throughout my almost 30 year career now had been close to home. And so that's, what's really intriguing about this one. It's a great opportunity, a great institution. I mean, the, the, the staff and the, the school is just absolutely wonderful, but uh, you know, this is the first time I, I get a chance to do it for home. You know, it's interesting, too, and it, I didn't realize you live that close to Oakleaf. So, yeah, that, from that, it's very, very convenient. You are going from Duval County to Clay County. You're going from a Class mm-hmm. 2 program in Duval to a Class 4 in Clay, and now you go into the suburban area instead of the metro. So even though mm-hmm. geographically the schools are probably not that far apart, on the high school you know, grid, they're very, very different jobs, are they not? Yes, yes, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, you know, the size, the mere size. I mean, I haven't figured out the first floor yet (laughs) and I've been there a few times, but, um, you know, it's, it's the, 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 you know, the, the classification system is, it's extremely different. You know, it's, we, we have almost twice the number of students, uh, as we had at Andrew Jackson. So I'm, I'm really excited about that, you know, because, you know, enrollment was was getting kind of difficult on Main Street. And so to, to have, you know, a, a student pool of over 2,000 kids is, man, I'm, I'm excited to see how that's going to pan out. Final moments here with Christopher Foy, now the brand-new head coach at Oakleaf High School. Coach, any differences between Duval County and Clay County from a player standpoint? I haven't, I haven't had, you know, I have, I have my first workout with my new team tomorrow. So I, I can't answer that one yet. However, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't see, you know, I, in, in almost 30 years, I, I can say, Coach, you know, I can never say that I've, I've come across, you know, a, a, just, a, just a, a difficult kid, you know, who loved the game of tackle football and they wanted to be part of the team. Uh, so I, I don't, the difference, I, I don't, I can't say I see it yet. I'm happy I got eight months to pro- to practice this. Christopher Foy of Oakleaf. That doesn't roll off the tongue yet. I promise I won't do any <laughs> faux pas. Final moments here with you, Coach. All right, so this is not new to you. You did the same thing three years ago when you were the brand-new head coach at Jackson. What are you mm-hmm. looking to establish? I mean, we're still, you know, five months, four months, I guess, away from spring practice, obviously. Mm-hmm. You said workouts begin tomorrow. What's yes. your message? What are you looking to accomplish over these next couple of weeks? In, I, I, in, in the next couple of weeks, just building relationships, you know, with the kids and the staff and the community. You know, it's, it's, it's really one of the, the, the last few, other than Fletcher, just community schools. You know, where you, 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 got this, you got this, you know, great high school in the middle of a neighborhood with the junior high next door and a couple of elementary schools you know, less than a mile or a half away. And, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's a real intriguing situation to, to really work in a community school. So that's, that's our focus right now is relationships, relationships. 
I'll tell you what's interesting, too, just talking out loud. I mean, obviously, there's a nice little rivalry with Orange Park there. They're going to have a coach only in year number two and Marcus Wimberly. Fleming Island is open because Damian Spring stepped down. We'll see mm-hmm. when they get full. So the the dynamic in Clay County from the high school coaching point of view, boy, it's shifted in a big way over the last couple of years. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. So, I, I mean, I would I would be uh, – think – the, the third African American head coach with with well now that now that uh, Springs is leaving but you know it's it's and and that's 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 an honor it really is it's an honor but coach when it comes to dealing with kids in this team sport man it's 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 one thing about it I I got this from a a guy coach with me you you might know old coach Hesser at uh. At Fletcher, oh, man, yeah. that football put a whole lot of people together. Mm-hmm. It can put a whole lot of people together, and it can put us together for all the right reasons. I'll tell you this. You did a phenomenal job at Jackson. I think Oakleaf got themselves a good one, and we're making plans for Hackers High School Football Tour Season 2. My goodness, we saw you at Jackson. I would imagine we'll probably come see you at Oakleaf in 2023. Christopher Foy, the brand-new head coach of Oakleaf High School, Coach, congratulations. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, Coach. And we'll be willing. We, we, we'll be ready to have you over. He did a really good job at Jackson last year. He's one of the good guys. Christopher Foy leaving Jackson after a phenomenal season. Now the brand-new head coach out in Clay County at Oakleaf High School. And we certainly appreciate him joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Week 14 of the National Football League, the Raiders and the Rams. Raiders up 10-3. Denmark, you looked it up. You said the last defending Super Bowl champion that finished with a losing record the following year, you have to go all the way back to 2003 to the Buccaneers? Yes. Wow. You're talking 19 years, and the Rams just don't have a losing record. The Rams are going to be one of the worst teams in the National Football League. Um absolutely ridiculous how bad they are they're three and nine Baker Mayfield is actually playing for them tonight Matt Stafford is hurt on IR John Wolford played the first series didn't throw the ball the former Bishop Kenny product here in Jacksonville the Rams claimed Baker Mayfield on like Tuesday after he was released from Carolina and here he is 48 hours later playing for the Rams he actually completed a pass to former Gator Van Jefferson, which is kind of interesting. So we'll get back into the National Football League. Remember, coming up here in the 9 o'clock hour, we'll go to Gainesville, allgators.com. Zach Goodall will talk about the first two weeks of the Gator offseason, everything that's transpired to this point at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. Ben Arthur, the uh, AFC South reporter for Fox Sports. I certainly want to talk Jaguars and Titans with Ben But I want to get into the Colts. What on earth is going on there? The Texans. By the way, the Texans still only have one win. You want to talk about uh, just a chop to the solar plexus, as Gordon Soley used to say. Every time they say Houston's 1-8-1 or 1-9-1 or 1-10-1, their one win came in Jacksonville, where the Jaguars did not score a touchdown. Oh. So we'll talk AFC South with Ben Arthur of FoxSports.com coming up 
in just a bit. Halftime on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. As always, we're streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there till 10 o'clock. Also on Twitter, at 1010XL Twitter. The show will be streaming there until 10 o'clock tonight. One hour to do. Let's get into the 9 o'clock hour here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Not that I'm going to get overly fired up for Big Ten December hoops, but we just had one heck of a buzzer beater. At Ohio State, Ohio State with about a 30-foot three at the buzzer in Columbus to beat Rutgers. That was pretty cool. That was pretty awesome. I guess they're already playing conference games up there, right? Nothing says Big Ten action like Rutgers and Ohio State. Speaking of college basketball, watching the UConn-Florida game last night, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. That was not good. I understand UConn is what, a top 10, top 5 team in the country, but good heavens. That was, uh, Florida's got a lot of work to do. And I already love the people that didn't want Mike White gone, saying, oh, this, that, and the other. Well, why do you think Florida is where they are right now? Because Todd Golden is inheriting what Mike White left. To Todd Golden's credit, he brought in some transfers that will ultimately help. If Mike White was still there, the same thing would be going on. But Florida is as average as the day is long right now. They're just not very good. UConn dominating them last night. All right, so Mel Kuyper Jr., we're past the college football regular season. Championship Saturday is over. They're giving out a Heisman Trophy coming up this Saturday. By the way, who's going to win that thing, Denmark? Stetson Bennett, Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud. You think it's Caleb Williams? Yeah, not even close. Not even close? Yeah. Okay, Okay, it shouldn't be. But the ones that are offended with his fingernails – May lose some, but it yeah. it still shouldn't be close. I, what you, what you're talking about for people that missed that, we had uh, my buddy Brent Beard on, who is a Heisman voter on Tuesday, and he said he's talked to at least some Heisman voter brethren of his. Caleb Williams decided to put f bombs on his fingernails. I think one was f UCLA, the other was f Utah, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Oh, Notre Utah. Dame was it? Notre Dame was it? Yeah. So f Notre Dame, f Utah. Well, all right. When you beat Notre Dame, I guess that works. When Utah beats you by 23, I like how the Utah social media platform on Twitter had a little fun with Caleb Williams after that. But is that Heisman Trophy worthy? Apparently, when you vote for the Heisman, there is a character uh, requirement, not requirement, I don't know what the word is. You have to judge your character when you vote for the Heisman. And that's what some people are saying why Caleb Williams might get not as many votes. And even Aaron Murray, I saw him talking uh, earlier with, today or yesterday saying the same thing as Brian Beard did the other day. Maybe it's me. And look, I'd be interested. I don't know. But 5, 10, certainly 15, and definitely 20 years ago, I mean, the Heisman Trophy was a gigantic deal. 
gigantic deal. And I don't know somewhere along the way if the prestige of it is coming down a little bit, but I can remember being, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, late 90s, early 2000s. And that was appointment viewing, Saturday night, second Saturday in December. I watched that all that coverage. And, again, you know, maybe, maybe it's because there were a lot more familiarity with guys like, in our area, Charlie Ward, Danny Werfel, Chris Winky, Rex Grossman, who should have won it. Eric Crouch is somewhere with Rex Grossman's Heisman Trophy. Certainly Tim Tebow. Fast forward to Jameis Winston. And maybe it's because our guys in the area just aren't in play for it any longer. But quick, who won the Heisman Trophy two years ago? Two years ago was 2020, Devontae Smith. Okay. Hey, look, Denmark, you're an encyclopedia. Who won it in 2019? The year before, 19, Joe Burrow, because LSU won the title. 2018. 18, Clemson won it. Ah, da, da, da. I bet you're doing better than most. Oh, yeah. I Lamar probably Jackson. would have remembered Devontae Smith, but it would have taken a while. No, Lamar Jackson won it in six, no, in seven. Six. He won it in 16. 16. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the interesting stat. Lamar Jackson won the Heisman Trophy in 2016. Stetson Bennett is a finalist for the Heisman Trophy in 2022, and they were both born in 1997. Kyler Murray, 2018, Baker in 2017. There you go. But think about that for a second. Stetson Bennett's a finalist for the Heisman this year. Lamar Jackson won it six years ago, and they were both born in 1997. That's incredible. He's older than me. Absolutely incredible. So, yeah, I mean, look, the Heisman, I'll find out about it. Certainly not appointment viewing for me any longer. Caleb Williams appears to be the favorite. I think Stetson Bennett would be a great story. Shame on the Heisman, though, for not having Hendon Hooker as a finalist. I have absolutely no idea why Hendon Hooker is not in New York as a finalist. There was a point in the year where that guy should have won the Heisman Trophy. And then Tennessee faltered down the stretch. He tore his ACL. I get all that. I'm not saying he should win it now, but he should at least be recognized as one of the finalists. So shame on the Heisman for not inviting Hendon Hooker to New York. We'll get more into the world of college football. Zach Goodall, allgators.com. Let's go to Gainesville. Let's talk transfer portal, NFL declarations. You know, we know about DJ Lagway in 2024, the most recent commit to that class. We know Jaden Rashad is coming in for the 2023 season. But what are the Gators going to do at quarterback? Labor Day weekend. 2023 at Utah in Salt Lake City. Their quarterback on opening night next year is probably not on the roster right now. And they're going to have to find that guy in the next six weeks. By January 18th, they have to find somebody in the portal. Let's talk about all that with Zach Goodall, allgators.com. He's next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark. On 1010XL. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, what a 10 days it's been 
since the Florida Gators wrapped up the season less than two weeks in to what we knew was going to be an unbelievable offseason, and it certainly has been to this point. There are Florida players entering the transfer portal left and right, and Florida has had a bunch of guys declare for the NFL draft. Let's look at it all with Zach Goodall. He runs the allgators.com website. That's, of course, part of Sports Illustrated, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zach, how we doing? Doing great, Ryan. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, it's it's no doubt that it's hectic here. I, I love to give 100% when I do radio hits, but I might have to do 99 because it's literally every minute or so there's a, there's another portal entry, a draft declaration. It's 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 part of the gig, I guess, especially in this day and age of college football. You know, I was talking to Mark Long, our colleague from the AP earlier uh, this week, and it, I was telling him it's like every hour you go on Twitter and there's another Florida Gator entering the transfer portal. I think at the time you and I are talking, it's what, 17 scholarship players that have entered the portal that doesn't even take into account Justin Shorter and Osiris Torrance and Ravon Dexter and Anthony Richardson that have already declared for the draft, not to mention the seniors you're losing on top of that. I mean, this is this is crazy, right? The amount of guys that are leaving? Yeah, they they expected an exodus. I, I don't know anything about a number, um, but they expected a roster turn, uh, turnover, especially with the removal of the cap on scholarships, or at least it's not at 25 anymore. Uh, I fully anticipate them to sign more than 25 in this class, and they and they want to create room for transfers as well because we saw what the results were of, of ultimately four years of Dan Mullen recruiting in Florida. It, it made its way well into Napier's first season in charge here. Um, call in place for the Gators and we saw the talent deficiencies at a lot of different positions even if it wasn't necessarily the starters but if someone went down at really any given position they were screwed in terms of experience uh, and now you look at it and I believe as of the latest update we're sitting at 81 scholarship players for next year's team including commits um, under the 85 man limit at this time and I think they're going to get further away from it but that only opens the door to adding portal talent. And, and, and you look at quarterback, especially now, all of a sudden you pair Anthony Richardson with the dismissal of Jalen Kitna for his arrest. And besides the commitment of Jaden Rashada in the class of 2023, they, they don't really have anything there for the long-term at quarterback or, or even someone they could truly comfortably start in 2023. So that's the first position you think of when it comes to transfer portal additions now as quarterback. Zach Goodall is the publisher of the All Gators website, All Gators on FN for Fan Nation. That is the Twitter handle, and Zach's kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, so Anthony Richardson announces he's going to the NFL. There's no real surprise there, Zach. I mean, we had heard rumblings about this, you know, weeks if not months ago. He finally makes it official earlier this week. I guess two-parter, number one, how will Anthony be remembered as a Florida Gator, a very short stint as the Gators' starting quarterback? And number two, Billy Napier's got to go find his starting quarterback for 2023 in the portal, does he not? Yeah, sure thing. Um, to start with Richardson, I think he'll be remembered as one of ar- arguably the greater athletes in Florida history in terms of what he brought to the table and a lot of potential that was never fully maximized. And there's a lot of reasons why that can be said. You, you go back to high school when he had a meniscus injury that never really recovered properly. 
Uh, and that lingered into his sophomore year or redshirt freshman year, excuse me, um, with the quarterback competition with Emory Jones that went through, you know, the start of the season to the end. He had a concussion. He had a hamstring injury. And then after dancing in a hotel room or something of the sort before um, before the South Carolina game, he tweaks that knee injury from high school. Two weeks later, he tears the muscle off the bone against Florida State. And you look at that year. I mean, LSU, right? That was when the changing of the guard was happening. He's supposed to come in, be the starter against Georgia, even if it doesn't go that great. You know, it's, it's clear that he's the quarterback from that point on. And he never got to do that. So you throw that year out the window. You've got the coaching change. You've got a new staff coming in. And, you know, he's he had an amazing recovery from a surgery in terms of the timetable. But he's back out there throwing passes in spring in a totally new system. And there were always going to be some issues that he'd have to hire now. I, I think that's the biggest reason why people were clamoring for him to come back another year is, you know, he's going to have the intangibles. He's going to have the NFL combine really work in his favor for the draft but what would he look like if he came back and had a second year of starting experience in the system is it worth the injury risk there's just a million different ways you can attack it and ultimately it came down to this guy might have the strongest arm in the draft and he's certainly the fastest quarterback in the draft and and teams want that more than ever in this nfl that's what they're looking for uh, when it comes to answering the second part uh, of the quarterback of the future again yeah I think the best, the best thing they've really got going for him in the quarterback room at this point is Jaden Rashada uh, in terms of upside, in terms of long-term commitment to the program. Um, they've got two scholarship players now and Jack Miller, who I believe has two years of experience, 14 passing attempts to his name in college, uh, and Max Brown, who's been playing football for three years and was a, you know, a late find in the class of 2022 out of a private school in, uh, in Oklahoma. So when it comes to that, even with Rashada in the picture, you, you just don't have much. You, you don't have someone you can look at your roster right now and say, okay, week one when we go to Salt Lake City in 2023, I know that that guy can comfortably start for me. And, and with all of these portal quarterbacks that have entered today, I think we've got like six or so from the ACC alone. It, it would definitely behoove of Florida to look in every direction they can to get some more experience into that room. No question about it. Final moments with Zach Goodall. AllGators.com is the website. I would certainly encourage all of you to go visit. They do a terrific job with the football and with recruiting, obviously, because recruiting the first signing day, for the December signing day, obviously coming up in just a couple of weeks. All right, so we know that the back channel communications are going on. We know it's not just quarterback. They got to get everything. They got problems at linebacker, I think, Zach. They got to go on the D-line. They've had three safeties enter the portal in the last, what, couple of days. So the secondary, certainly as well, they need a little bit of everything. When will we start seeing some dominoes fall? I guess I saw one, uh, a guy that had 100 tackles at Cal, entered the portal last week and now is committed to UCLA today because you can officially commit today being the first day. It's a 45-day window. Do you think we'll start seeing Florida get some commitments, get some visits in, you know, Christmas, New Year's, or we start seeing dominoes fall before that? I think we could start seeing them happen soon. Um, and I believe the Boston College quarterback, I'm not going to try and announce, pronounce his name, but he may have committed on the fifth too. So it's – He did. He, he's to going, to, yeah, going to Pitt, I believe. That's right. Yeah, exactly. This, this is going to get rolling quickly. In, in Florida – they spent last week going through their meetings with players to get them prepared to, you know, to start moving on if that's what's going to happen. So 
I would think at this point they've got most of their attention now on surveying these portal options. And I'll tell you this much. Last year they came in when they first got the job and they took a few transfers, the ones that made a lot of sense, right? The Montreal Johnson, the Osiris Torrance, guys they were familiar with. And then they wanted to wait until post-spring summer to start pulling a couple more players in and address the needs they have left. And it came back to bite them because there were really not that many quality options left and they ended up not filling enough of their needs. So this time around, whether it's by the end of the, of the winter period or even here in the next couple of days, it, it would be in their best interest to be aggressive and, and go get the players as quickly as they can because the quality ones will start to go. There's no doubt about that. That kind of leads me to my final question. We've seen, Zach, what Florida State, what Mike Norvell did in basically revolutionizing that roster. I mean, you think of Florida State's best dozen players, heck, they might all be from the transfer portal. You you mentioned LSU, what they did with Jaden Daniels, all the Mm -hmm. guys they added. I mean, this needs to be Florida's quest this offseason, right? Billy Napier needs to do what Mike Norvell has done, what Brian Kelly has done. What Lane or what um, Lincoln Riley did at USC, I guess Lane Kiffin for that matter too at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. When you bring these guys in, you got to bring guys in that not only are, are numbers, you got to bring in guys that are going to absolutely contribute to your team in 2023. Without a doubt. And, and that's where the sense of urgency comes in. And that's where Florida fans really have to hope that the staff adjusts. It's, I don't even want to call it a complacency thing because they obviously last offseason had so many details to iron out a, a what feels like 500 person staff to hire at that point, but now they've got it. Now they've got the year under their belt and, and Billy Napier himself has been a huge advocate for the transfer portal windows that are now a thing. So they got to take advantage of it. They got to come out swinging a lot and they got to make contact with some balls very early on. Zach, give yourself a little love, man. All gators.com. What can people look forward to when they head over to the website? Every uh, every last bit of this transfer portal nonsense is going to be updated uh, as soon as it happens over at allgators.com. So that draft declarations, breaking down this season, and, and obviously what's to come next season will be all over at allgators.com and on my Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. Zach, you do a terrific job, man. I certainly thank you for joining me. I know you're very busy uh, this week with everything that's transpired. Again, thank you, my friend. Let's talk again around uh, the first signing period in a couple of weeks. We'll see how Florida's faring at that point. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Sunday at 1 o'clock in Nashville. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Let's talk Jags. Let's talk Titans. Let's also look around the AFC South with Ben Arthur. He is the AFC South reporter for Fox Sports, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Ben, how we doing? I'm doing great. How about you, Ryan? Ben, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And boy, uh, after Tennessee lost last week, all Jacksonville had to do was beat Detroit, and this all of a sudden would have been a pretty big game in Nashville on Sunday, and Jacksonville decides to play their worst game under Doug Peterson, and we're just flat-out embarrassed in Detroit. Ben, what did you make of whatever that was in Detroit last Sunday for the Jaguars? Yeah, I mean, I think the game in Detroit was just kind of the the latest sign of that this team just isn't there yet, right? I mean, I think we've seen it all year offensively, defensively, 
Um, Trevor Lawrence has uh, has made clear steps this season. Obviously, I think that Ravens game really cemented himself as, as kind of the guy we, we all kind of expected him to be. But that offense overall just isn't there yet um, under um, Doug Peterson. But we've seen the defense have issues kind of most of the season, right? They had that really good stretch at the beginning of the year, and they've really kind of unraveled um, largely in, in kind of the last several weeks um, of the season. Um, the, the Lions, to their credit, I mean, the Lions haven't been that great of a team this season, but we do know that they've kind of been able to score um, with the best of teams. Um, and, and so that they were able to uh, kind of have a great performance against this uh, Jags defense that still has a lot of work to do. They're obviously going to have to bulk up that side of the ball um, in the off season. But, but yeah, it's just, it was just a bad, a bad game. You know, Trevor Lawrence, I, I think he, he kind of, with his language he was using post game, um, it, it was kind of some of the strongest language I think we, we've seen um, since he uh, arrived in Jacksonville um, last season. Um, this team is still a long way to go, um, and and I think that Lions game coming off of the high of of uh, that dramatic, thrilling win against Baltimore at home, I, I think we kind of were taken back to the reality um, that the Jags are still kind of a uh, kind of a, a long way from kind of the goals that they they hope to attain. Ben Arthur covers the AFC South for Fox Sports. He's with us here on 1010XL. Yeah, you mentioned the the Trevor Lawrence postgame. He used the word embarrassed. He used the term mm -hmm. laid down. He used the phrase, we got our A's kicked. And he's exactly right yeah. on all of those. There's no question about it. Ben, if you look at Trevor Lawrence in totality this season, 17 touchdowns, six interceptions. What are we at? About 2,800-plus yards passing. Clearly, he is night and day from what he was in 2021, but that's relative, right? Because it was really bad for him in 2021. How would you assess where he is now, almost 30 games in to his pro career? Yeah, kind of, kind of as I was uh, alluding to earlier, Ryan. I think he's made massive strides, and and uh, obviously he had the struggles last season as a rookie, but I think kind of with, with the Urban Meyer situation last year, not really having a stable coaching situation. Um, I mean, this year, even though it's year two for him in, in many ways, it's kind of like a, a redo of his of his rookie season. And, and I think having kind of that healthy um, coaching structure with, with Doug Peterson, an offensive minded guy who's had a lot of success uh, with with quarterbacks in the past, I, I think we've seen Trevor make a lot of strides right in, in terms of his efficiency. The interceptions are down. Uh, he's making better decisions we've seen flashes of kind of that great quarterback that he was projected to be. And, and as I said, at the beginning, um, you know, of, the, of this segment, the, the, the Ravens game, I think was a really big step for him in showing the world, the NFL world that he can um, be that guy. But we, we've also seen this season where um, kind of the inconsistencies are still there, right? Like you'll have two, three good games and then kind of, uh, have have a bad game and then kind of go back to kind of playing well and playing efficient and then you know have a red zone interception or has a fumble and and, and things like that and I think those are all part of the journey but um, I think we, we have to really look at how much growth 
he's made from last year um, to this season. Um, he, he's, he's on the right track. I think it's very obvious in the statistics. It's obvious in how the, the Jags, the, the people around that organization, the coaches, the players, how they talk about Trevor and, and the strides he's made as a leader. Um, is he a finished product at this point? Of course not. Um, but I, I think the growth is evident and, and he's clearly um, on the right trajectory. A couple of more for Ben Arthur of Fox Sports. He covers the AFC South. Ben, I don't know where you were in life on November the 10th, 2013, but that is the last time the Jaguars went into Nashville and won a football game. On Sunday afternoon, it'll be 3,300 and 18 days since Jacksonville went in there and beat the Titans. And ironically enough, Jacksonville was 0-8 in 2013 going into that game where they happened to win. It was Gus Bradley's first year. Uh, Tennessee has owned Jacksonville in Nashville, Ben. And you look at this Titans team coming off two losses uh, in a row uh, themselves, I would imagine they're going to be pretty hungry and pretty fired up when the Jaguars roll in there on Sunday. Yeah, they're, they're obviously going to be fired up and coming off of two losses. They're going to be hungry to to get back on track. And, and as you said, the Titans have had a lot of success against Jacksonville. Uh, the Titans have been dominant, not just against the Jags, but in the AFC South overall. I mean, the, the Titans run the division. Um, so um, they're going to certainly be fired up for this game and, and – um, there's been a lot of news kind of with the Titans today with firing general manager John Robinson. There's been a lot going on, and, and so I, I know that they're going to head into that game looking to kind of get back um, on the right track. Um, Derek Henry, you know, a, a Jacksonville area kid, a, a, Uli, a Uli kid is kind of <laughs> dominated, uh, dominated would, pro uh, would probably be, the, the light word in terms of kind of what he's done to, to the Jags over the last few years. And he's a guy who hasn't really, really been able to get loose that uh, they've kind of had the, some struggles in terms of run blocking and, um, and, and whatnot. So um, the Titans are, are going to try to win that battle um, up front. So um, that's going to be something to watch. And then you, people talk so much about this Titans defensive front and, and for good reason, too, but but I think they're vulnerable right now with Jeffrey Simmons not being at 100%. Danico Autry, who's their top sack guy, um, he's uh, been out with a knee injury. And so I, I think this is a good chance for Travis Etienne um, to kind of get uh, to, to get back on track. Um, so um, and then you look at what happened to the Titans uh, against Philly, um, Jalen Hurts exposing um the inconsistencies that, that the Titans have had uh, in uh, like past defense at, at the cornerback spot specifically, if Trevor, Trevor Lawrence can, can get, you know, guys like Marvin and, and Zay Jones and uh, Evan Ingram and, and all those guys going, I think those are kind of opportunities uh, for, for, the, for Jacksonville in this matchup. So it's going to be a good one. Um, I think, um, and, and I think, Another storyline, too, is that if the Titans beat the Jaguars, then the Jacksonville would officially be out of uh, kind of the AFC South race. I mean, obviously, the, it looks like the Titans will run away with it, but Jacksonville has still had this slight chance uh, 
the Titans can end that slight chance on Sunday. And, and so um, I think they're going to be fired up. The Jags are, are going to be fired up. Um, so um, I expect um, a, a good game. So, so I guess we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. Yeah, it's weird. You know, five games to go and as bad as Jacksonville was. And again, I don't expect anything to happen, but they still play Tennessee twice. They're down three with five to go. So crazier things have happened. Final moments here with Ben Arthur of Fox Sports, who covers the AFC South. All right, quickly, the other two. Let's do the Cliff Notes version, Ben. First with, with Indianapolis. Uh, wow, I, I don't even know what to say. Well, what, what do you make of, of them and uh, of what's going to happen there this offseason? Yeah, the, I mean, the Colts have obviously been like a train wreck this season. Um, it's been, I think the consistent thing has been how dreadful their offense has been. It, it's, it has started with the play of the offensive line, but, but the quarterback play, um, you know, particularly Matt Ryan, you know, he, he looks kind of washed, right? Like he, he's, he's 37. Um, he kind of came into a situation where they thought they'd have better pr- protection and a better run game for him that hasn't panned out. But Ryan, Matt Ryan has also made a lot of kind of bad throws, bad decisions. And so it's kind of been all bad offensively led to Frank Reich being fired. But I, I think kind of the big thing, a, a new low point for them was losing to the Cowboys. It was like the first time I've kind of seen their defense give up. And, and their defense was kind of the only, what was kind of like the thing to the, the, what was kind of providing optimism for them. And it was kind of the first game to where not only was the offense not good, but it, it was like the, the defense almost kind of gave up and, and obviously with Dallas scoring 56 points. So um, the Colts can't wait for the, for the off season. Um, obviously drafting a, a quarterback should be um, at the top of their list. And, and I think that's kind of a good segue in, into kind of what, what's going on with, with the Texans. Um, they're in, in a situation too, where they're going to have to find that franchise guy. They gave Davis Mills um, a chance this season after a, a promising rookie season um, as a third rounder, it hasn't worked out. He's kind of regressed. Um, and he's even been benched for Kyle Allen, who I think is also going to be benched because he's been actually worse than Davis Mills. So um, they've kind of had a uh, just kind of a mess. Um, they're one 10 and one like, like the Colts. I mean, it's just kind of looking toward, um, the off season at this point. So for both Colts and Texans, I'm looking at kind of quarterbacks uh, being at the top of the priority list. Ben, final question. And look, I think here in Jacksonville, this is how we look at it. I'm curious from a guy that covers all four teams in the division for a website like Fox Sports. If you were to look at the next three to five years in this division, at that point, I don't think it's crazy to say that right now, as at least it stands right now, Jacksonville's probably in the best shape because they have the quarterback. I mean, when you're looking at Tannehill, Matt Ryan, Davis Mills, or Trevor Lawrence, it's an absolute no-brainer. So because of that, would you expect Jacksonville to be more of a factor in this division moving forward? Absolutely, Ryan. And and actually, a a month or so ago, I actually wrote a story on that, how the type, how even as soon as next season the Jaguars are positioned to really threaten the Titans in the AFC South and, and long term, as you said, I, I think I I also agree that Jacksonville is most positioned for long term success. They have the franchise quarterback. 
Um, as you said, um, that offense has grown a lot this season. They've started to get Trevor Lawrence some weapons. Then the Calvin Ridley factor next season, assuming all goes well and he's reinstated next year, that's a number one receiver for a true number one receiver for Trevor Lawrence for the first time in his career. That offense should continue to make strides. They're, they have the best offensive line um, in the division um, as well. Um, I, we talked about this earlier, that the defense kind of needs some work at this point, um, but but they do have some pieces to build around guys like Tyson Campbell, um, who's, who's, who, who, who's going to be one of the top who's going to be a top corner in the NFL uh, sooner rather than later. Um, they, have, they have a couple guys on that side of the ball that they can build around. But I think long-term, again, they're the most positioned to have success. I mean, the Texans can really change their fortunes, I think, in, in the upcoming draft if they really nail um, their two first-round picks, right? They're going to have two first-rounders. Um, but, but they're really far behind. Uh, the Colts, I mean, depending on what they do at quarterback, it, it might be interesting with them. Um, but uh, and, and then you, you look at the Titans, I mean, their quarterback situation, their offense, they kind of have a lot of questions they need to answer. And Derrick Henry is obviously um, closer to the end of his career um, than um, the beginning. So, um, again, long term, as you said, and, and I agree that the Jags have the most promising outlook on paper um but so so we just have to see if if that potential will turn into results and there have been many situations in the past and with the jaguars too where it seems like they would have a, a great team or, or an improving team on paper but but it doesn't really come together um when it counts so um so yeah I, I, we'll have to see on that but but i definitely agree that jacksonville is positioned to have success Again, the Jaguars and the Titans on Sunday at 1 o'clock. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Ben Arthur covers the AFC South for Fox Sports. Ben, certainly appreciate the time. Know you're very busy this time of year. If we don't talk beforehand, happy holidays, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good, Ryan. Thank you so much. And thank you to Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com, for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. The Jaguars and the Titans on Sunday at 1 o'clock in Nashville. Of course, you'll get the game right here on 1010XL. We'll see what the status of Trevor Lawrence is by Sunday. Uh, look, the Jaguars coming off an absolutely demoralizing loss. They got the tar beat out of them up in Detroit, so I'm sure they're anxious to get back on the field. Unfortunately, they're going to a place where they have not won since November the 10th of 2013. So I think it's going to be a tough putt. For the Jaguars on Sunday, I'm not breaking any news there. I'm going to take the Tennessee Titans to win the football game, and that'll all but eliminate the Jaguars from the AFC South division race. And that'll just about do it for what has been an action-packed Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Thank you to Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com. Does a terrific job covering the AFC South for Fox Sports. Thank you to Zach Goodall, allgators.com, part of the Sports Illustrated family. Zach does a terrific job covering Florida. And what a couple of weeks it's been for the Gators with transfer portals and guys declaring for the draft. And now all of a sudden, DJ Lagway back in the fold uh, as a commitment for the 2024 
class at quarterback. It has been a very interesting two weeks since that Florida State game ended the Gators regular season. And an hour number one, my man Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You get him right here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate Leon joining us weekly here on HAD. Tomorrow night, Ron Compton, ladies and gentlemen. It's Compton and Company. I'm taking the night off. I'm taking the little man. Well, down to Walt Disney World. We're going to have a little bit of a family getaway, but I will be back with you on Sunday for the fifth quarter, two hours after the Jaguars and the Titans go final. Leon Searcy, head coach Dave Campo, and myself will have you for the fifth quarter live at Perfect Rack Billiards on Edgewood out in Murray Hill. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Enjoy Compton and Company, which will be on tomorrow night from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, and have an absolutely terrific week in Jacksonville. And I will talk to you on Sunday after the Jaguars and the Titans for the fifth quarter. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.